Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, I am pleased to have with me Jeffrey Benson. And let me tell you about Jeffrey. So Jeffrey has owned 40, has over 40 years of experience as a teacher, mentor, and school administrator. His passion is supporting schools to be more successful with more students. He's an internationally known author, including books, hanging in strategies for working with students who challenge us most, 10 steps for managing change in schools, teaching the whole team everyday practices that promote success and resilience in school and life, improve every lesson plan with SEL, and his newest book, Hacking School Discipline Together. Jeffrey leads school change initiatives, facilitating interdisciplinary teams that convert longstanding dilemmas into cutting edge growth and community building and creating more inclusive schools and culture classroom cultures. He is a member of the ASCD faculty, is frequently published in educating education journals and speaks at conferences on such topics as working with challenging students, integrating SEL into everyday practices, restorative practices, decision-making skills, and the science of learning and teaching. I thought we should speak today about best strategies for working with challenging students. As those of you know, I teach public speaking and leadership to the youth, middle school and high school. And I have to say, <laughs> I have had some of those challenging students. And my husband was a teacher for over 40 years. And I have the stories from those challenging students. So Absolutely. it is definitely a topic that I think should be very interesting today. Please join me in welcoming Jeffrey Benson. Nice to be here, Vicki. Thanks for having me. All right. We always start with an easy question, you know, and that question is, what part of the country do you call home? Where do you live? I live about 20 yards from the uh, border of Boston. I'm in a town called Brookline, which is right next to Boston. Um, for those of you who know, um, and this will matter, I am a 20-minute walk to Fenway Park. <laughs> my, my, uh, I guess he's my nephew-in-law, favorite park, favorite oh. park. 
wonderful place. Yeah. So let's just kind of get into it. And again, give just a little bit. I gave your bio biography, but just give a little bit of your backstory of what really brought this passion on for what you're doing today. Thanks. Um, I've spent a lot of my career working with students and schools and programs um, with students who have been traumatized, abused, exploited, neglected. They were kids who were doing drugs. They were kids who were gay or trans before we were even allowed to sort of understand what that was about. Kids who just didn't fit into the commerce of schools mm -hmm. and who needed something a little more, a little different, a little clearer about how to be successful. Um, there's a line coming out of that field that what's necessary for some goods to, some kids to be successful is probably good for all kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've discovered. And you know, one of my jokes is that I've become mainstreamed. And I now work, I, I work in public schools as well as private schools and uh, religious schools, helping them be more successful with more students. Um, historically, schools have never been successful with every student. We've never had schools that let all kids come to mastery. Um, we're doing better than we've ever done, but there's still that gap. So my career has been trying to close the gap so that more kids, I mean, in a very tangible way, more kids get to a high school diploma. I would like them to also be happy about being lear about learning and look forward to the life ahead, but minimally that we got to get them to a high school diploma. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, as I said, having my husband been, been in teaching for a long time, and when he started teaching in the 70s, uh, um, he had administrative assistants that helped the teachers with all of the administrative stuff, which they didn't have near as much of the stuff that we right. have today. And he could really focus on that helping the students and, and having that time with the students. And I, I know today that's not the case. And the teachers have so many hats that they wear that really when there is somebody that is falling through the cracks, even if you see that, you tend to not have the time. And I think that's why you and I do what we do to try to... Mm -hmm supplement for the teachers right um it's true um we usually say that if you have one student who's challenging well that's okay that kid's going to teach you how to be a better teacher they're challenging because we don't know how to help them yeah. when you have multiple students and you don't have administrative support and you're just kind of swimming as fast as you can to stay in place as a teacher truly very hard so one of the things we talk a lot about then is how much can you put into prevention? How much mm -hmm. can you build into the structure, rituals, processes of your classroom to make it less likely that kids will be anxious and act out where they walk into your room and they're like, oh, this is this is the good place to be. Used to have a line in my school when I was a principal, we wanted the school to be more attractive than the streets. And as a teacher, I wanted my classroom to be more attractive than the hallway which is hard competition. But the notion of, it's a safe, you know, the term we use is how do I make a safe and brave classroom for students? Mm -hmm. So they want to be there. It does not mean that we will eliminate all difficult behaviors, that kids will still yeah. say things and do things that keep us up at night, only that we reduce the likelihood of that 
and the persistence of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've only had in the 10, uh, 12 years that I've been working with the kids, I've only had one instance where it just nothing worked. And, and it was that you, you do keep up at night thinking, what could I have done differently? Right. It's, um, um it's why also everyone needs to have a mentor, a coach, somebody to talk with so we can sleep a little better mm -hmm. at night. There's also another part too. Um, so my first book is called Hanging In, which are stories of working with challenging students. It's 13 chapters. Each chapter is about a kid. And how do we nice. make sense of doing it? But after I wrote that book, I realized I needed a follow-up. So there's a short follow-up article, which is called When Not to Hang In. Yeah. There's also a time when schools need to say we're not the right program. And we needed a, a checklist, a rubric. Have we done everything we could? Yeah. And if we have, then it's time to say, you know what? There have been enough kids who have been hurt by not being given special yeah. services as have been kids who have been excluded into the corners of the community um, because of their needs. Um, yeah, I don't think teachers should be left to just make sense of a situation that is untenable for the kid yeah. as well as them, as well as for the peers in the yeah, class. Exactly, the impact. And I, and just to kind of, to the rest of the audience that maybe you know, not have kids or not involved with teaching or whatnot, from a business perspective, what we're talking about is applicable too because we have challenging clients, we have challenging coworkers. And, you know, when do you give up that employee that just you've done everything you could, you've gone through that checklist and there's just, this isn't the right place for them. This isn't the right seat for them. And right. should they move seats or should I, they leave entirely and do it in a way that as has them maintain their respect and their self-confidence, self-esteem. Right. Um, Can I jump but, in on that a little? Absolutely. My principal hat. So I, I, I have a principal hat and a teacher hat and a parent hat and a student hat. Um, <laughs> and I kind of go through them. They're all right there. So as a principal, one of the hardest things, there are a few hard things about leadership as a principal. And one is when you do have to let somebody go, when you do have to fire them, not rehire them for another year, not give them tenure, because you know you're doing tremendous damage in some fashion to that person's hopes, their aspirations, to their family life. It's a really tough decision to make unless obviously the person just toxic. But usually it's not. It's usually somebody who's mediocre and fading, you know, and um, you know the system could be better. But one of the things I've learned through the years, and I'm thinking this probably applies outside of schools, although I will say after now almost 50 years, almost all my stories are in schools, um, is that almost every time the coworkers of that teacher said to me that was the right thing to do that they did not want to have someone who was that unmotivated and that corrosive to the teaching environment. And I'm the only person who has the power to make that move. And so that's my on me to do that. The other part the teachers need to know, and I'm assuming this is also in other industries, is that there was a clear process mm -hmm. yes. that led to that so that they know that one day, I'm not just going to call them into the office and out of the booth say, you're out of here, because they also fear that the um, un unrestrained 
power of people in authority. Mm -hmm. So if we do have a really clear personnel policy about how we do that, and I am clear that I have followed that policy and everyone knows that, it makes those really hard decisions a lot easier because then I'm thinking, it's not just about me and this person, it's about the school culture. I'm gonna make a big leap here, Vicky, to working with challenging students. When I am working with a challenging student in my class, and I have to spend a little time doing that, mm -hmm. I am actually on display to every other kid in the class. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, when I'm working with that challenging student, I am teaching everyone else in the class right. how to have empathy, how to be direct, how to be safe, I am teaching them compassion. I am teaching them about community. So when teachers say to me, is it worth taking time to do this? I'm saying in that moment, the time is for the other kids. They're going to see you take care of a kid in a safe, compassionate, and clear way. And they're going to learn something about their own safety and their own ability to work with people who are different than them. It may be for some of the kids, two or three of the most important minutes in the year of how they learn to live on this planet. Mm -hmm. In addition to math, science, social studies, and English, they're always watching us to see how do we operate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as a leader of an organization, all the other employees are saying, how are you dealing with this person? Because I want to be dealt with, with dignity. Yeah, absolutely. Good news, good advice. So, Talk about the SEL um, and how that supports learning. And and for those that may not understand SEL, explain what mm -hmm. that is too. Okay. So it's, it's a social emotional learning. It's a set mm -hmm. of skills that are always and have always been needed to actually be successful in schools. Mm -hmm. um, one of my... Uh, friends and mentors, I, I have one superpower, which is meeting mentors and holding on to them dearly until they become my friends. Mm -hmm. um, John Diori, when he would start his school year with, he was a principal too, with the staff, he'd say, how do you want your students to change and grow with you this year? Not just learn the math, learn the English, but as people. And everybody had something that they wanted to say. They wanted their kids to be more confident. They wanted their kids to help each other. They wanted their kids to know how to ask for help. We've always had an implicit SEL curriculum in schools. If I had heard when my kids were young and in schools that their teachers did not expect my students to say, my kids to say please and thank you and let my kids be rude, I would think that teacher was doing a disservice and was not a good teacher. Even though there's nothing in the job description that says they should that. teach kids to be polite. We've mm -hmm. always had an implicit SEL curriculum. So the way of working it so it's not another curriculum, because we can't ask teachers to have yet one more curriculum or say, I've checked off the 15 minutes this week of doing SEL. How do we integrate it into the life of the classroom? So mm -hmm. I'll give you a bunch of examples, but I'll talk about my own practice. Having identified what was important to me, and maybe it was just even not a conscious decision, just when I stepped back and I thought about, what do kids hear from me all the time? And they would hear two things in various ways every day in some fashion. They would hear from me, you have beautiful brains and all your brains are unique and different. And what you think and what you come up with is always amazing, even if it's not what anyone else has come up with. And part of being in this class is to honor that all of us have these beautiful brains 
that are just built for learning, but all differently. And so my kids would hear all the time that I would say, oh, so Vicki, what's going on in that beautiful brain of yours right now? Tell me more about that. So that was one thing they heard all the time. Something else they heard all the time was, how is your behavior helping this class be a learning community? So kids who came into my class and by the end of the year, yeah, Mr. B just cares about like, did we help the classroom learn? So it wasn't, it was like, no, you just can't do this for yourself. We learn as a, as a group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted my students to hear all those things as much as they heard, don't forget to put your name on top of the paper. Don't forget the date. So imagine for the teachers out there, administrators, or even people who work in industry, how often do your people you work with, your students, I'll say that, hear that message explicitly from you? Yeah. Well, you can build that in. You can say they're going to hear that at this part of the lesson. As they're going to sit and work with their peers, I'm going to say, don't forget, we learn together. So as you sit down with your peers and as you're working together, make sure everyone around your table has their materials. That's what we do in this classroom. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do the lesson better. They, I've alerted them to what makes them learn better. Um, so that's one whole part that you just keep saying it. And by saying it, yeah. it's also a prompt to me to praise it. Yeah. So I can say, hey, Vicki, I noticed that you're really helping the other kids at your table. You're doing a great job. Or instead of telling you what not to do, it's always better to tell kids what to do. So I say, hey, Vicki, remember right now, we're helping everyone at our tables get their stuff together. So the prompts becomes an option for praise. Periodically, I might have to say, hey, everyone, let's remember what it looks like to help each other. So I might take 30 seconds and go through that. They're still going to do the bulk of the lesson, but they'll probably do it better. Um, also that what we know, again, about the science of brains is that Humans learn best when they are feel safe. Yeah. There's not a gear in our head that's taking up space for all the things that we're concerned about. So the degree that kids know that they're going to be treated with dignity and respect, that what they're thinking matters, that everyone in the class is there together to learn, and that the teacher will hold that accountability mm -hmm. to the group, they come into Mr. Benson's room feel like this is a place where I can think, where I can take risks, where it's not just, what's the right answer, Vicki? What's the right answer? Cold calling, but, oh, Vicki, what are you thinking now? That's so interesting. Oh, you thought two and two was five? Wow, the rest of us got four. How'd you get five? Fascinating. And that I'm fascinated with how you're thinking. Mm -hmm. So SEL has always been there. So, and a lot of the book, and I'm not trying to sell the book here, <laughs> is that, um, make it from implicit to explicit. What is important to you in your classroom? So for you, it might be that kids learn how to advocate for themselves. So you might at the beginning of the lesson say, okay, everyone, remember, if you need help in any of these ways, this is the time to practice advocating because that's what we do in this class. You say that three times a day, it becomes part of the culture of your class and it becomes part of the character of the kid. I would love it if kids knew from kindergarten through 12th grade that my, how do I advocate? What am I allowed to advocate for? Mm -hmm. So by the time they get to us in high school, they're already, they got that. Mr. B, exactly. I know I need to sit by the window now. Mr. B, can I have graph paper instead of line paper? Um, for those of you who are interested, um, if you write to me at my website, jeffreybenson.org, I have a long list, K to 12, 
of things kids can advocate for. So mm -hmm. that if you want to make your classroom culture about kids advocating, you can say, here are the five things I want kids to know in my classroom to advocate for. It's not another curriculum. It just becomes part of the commerce of the class as often as don't forget to push in your chairs. Don't forget to pick up the papers. Awesome. And so I was writing notes. Um, be one of the things that I noticed as you were talking, and again, I always try to tie in the importance of what we do today with our elementary, middle school, high school impacts who they are later. And so I wrote that's down- the, That's that the purpose. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote that's down the that every, everything that you're talking about, advocating for yourself and helping others and everything, those are all skills that we need in our business lives, in our social lives. Right. And and having understanding that, you know, this that it's a safe environment and that you're all pulling together. I think a lot of times our education was more so a, a competitive, which yes. is which is, you know, part of the world. But it, it made you think that you always had to be the best. You always had to be perfect. You always had to be right. And didn't understand that that innovation and creativity comes from being wrong and 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 using that to keep on asking the questions like what else? Why? Right. And, and all of those don't meet make you be um, less educated or informed, it makes you more inquisitive and interesting. Right. And what we know from different polls and studies and surveys is that the skills kids need going forward in the world, as much as I love every subject, I would love everyone to master algebra two, what they really need to do, learn to do are the things you just said. That will make them um, better, and I hate to say, I don't think the goal of school is to make kids compliant employees. I think they should they to be creative and active members of whatever community yeah. they're in. And all of the skills you were just talking about are how will our kids be active and creative members of jobs, of families, of religious institutions, of their YMCA's, of their larger clan, of family that they're in, of their neighborhoods, of their street. That's what we want kids to, to mm -hmm. do. That's why we're educating them. Yeah. So that they, as I always said to my students, because I'm going to retire and I'll need you all to make sure that the trains are running. I want my social security checks coming and I want the food in the stores to be healthy and fresh. I need you all out there when I'm done to make sure that the world is running well. Yeah. You need all uh, those skills to do that. So two thoughts on that. One, I, I retired as a project manager and as a project manager, we need that creativity, that innovation, all the skills that we talked about so far today yeah. make you a strong leader of a project. But I, oftentimes you find people that get stuck because they were taught that this is how you do things. And so when I ask you to go outside, color outside of the box, outside yeah. of the lines, it's difficult because it's not what you were taught. Um, so I'd love to speak to that. Yes, May please. I? Okay, Please. I'm figuring that was my prompt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one of the things we do poorly in school reform is, and, you know, we, we drown in, in reforms in schools because, and I understand that we like mastery and we know everyone's not a mastery, so we're constantly throwing things in and we don't fall through on them and veteran teachers are like, I've seen them come and go. 
is we also, in that moment, like you were saying, go and do something outside the lines. What we're saying to staff is, you're going to feel incompetent. Who wants to feel incompetent? I have this set of skills that gets me through and you're telling me to get rid of those? Teaching's hard enough. So one of the things, and this is part of, um, now I'm gonna do a, a little promo briefly <clears throat> for my new book, Hacking School Discipline Together, because it's how do we do this? How do we get a whole school, a whole um, set of employees on board with something? And one of the first things we need to do is say to people, here's the timeline for rolling this out. You will not need to be super competent on day one. That's here's right. where you will have training. Here's where you will have input into the unfolding of this. Here's where the support systems, so that a year from now, this is where we want to be. Here's the path we're going to take. We don't do that enough in industry. We don't do it enough with teachers to say, we will support you on this path to go from where we are to where we want to be, because the vision is a good one. Mm -hmm. But what we haven't told you is the path. And a lot of times, and I'm assuming this is not just in schools, but again, I'll come back to schools. When school leaders want to make a change, they do research, they think about it, they talk to other principals, they go online, they read stuff. And then over a course of three months, maybe four months, a summer, they're pondering and thinking and organizing. And then they present it to adult professionals, the staff, as a fait accompli, as done. Those adults need that time too, yes. to ponder and think through and to go through some of the path the leader went through to say, got it, that makes yeah. sense. Exactly. And if we don't give them that time and honor their own learning, then they're gonna be resistant because mm -hmm. we're gonna make them incompetent. They haven't bought in. It's coming an edict from up high. And they're like, hey, I'm pretty good at what I'm doing now. Wow. You know, I have I have no guarantee that this is going to make me better. And you're when do I need to be better? Yeah. And, so and the student, the students need that too. Like when you oh. change things, <clears throat> you don't give a person. Uh, let's just say, first time you play a game, Monopoly for anything, yeah. you don't just say here. The object is you get you know you win a win, right. and and then you don't give them anything else, and you. I, I always tell whenever I talk about uh, teach leadership that you can't expect someone to be a chapter 20 without going through one through 19. Right. And to honor, and uh, this is where I think educators can be supportive of people in industry in this way, to understand how do brains learn? How do we go from knowing, not knowing to knowing? How do we reach competency? Um, how is that individualized? What are all the different ways people come to gain competency is a really important tool for us in whatever we're trying to do, whether we're teaching third graders how to mix colors or how to write and you know add ing to words, mm -hmm. or how we're teaching adults how to do a new process. Mm -hmm. Do we understand how people go? There's a great line from David Hawkins. He's one of my favorite educational theorists. And he says, we have to cross the boundary between knowing and not knowing many times until we truly understand. Yeah. I love that quote. Yeah. Love that quote. And and to to that point, I, you know, one of the things that I teach in in speaking is that you have to listen more than you talk to be a great speaker be, and you have to listen to understand. Absolutely. And you know, even and schools are not 
great listening institutions. <laughs> There's just too much to do. We're all too busy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, I'll, I'll speak from my principal hat on now. Um, as a principal, if you try to walk from one end of the school building to another, so many people are going to stop and want to tell you something. And I'm walking with a principal and I'm coaching and he's going, uh-huh, right, 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 got uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I got to the end of the, oh, I said, how much of that do you remember? Do you remember all of the ahas and things you, and he was like, no, yeah. I said, every one of those people thinks you're on it. So what I learned to do was to say to people, I actually can't listen to you now. Mm -hmm. Or I have to get to room 109. You want to walk down the hall with me? You can have 15 seconds and 40% of my brain. And if in that time, that I can help you, great. If not, make an appointment with me and I, you'll get my full attention. Yeah. Because I don't want to fake listening. Mm -hmm. um, everyone knows when you're faking it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and back to, you know, challenging students, mm -hmm. you know, some of the kids that I work with, as I said, are challenging. And yeah. the thing that I, that impressed me so much whenever I first started teaching um, public speaking to them was that I have them do just their first speeches just to talk about themselves for four minutes. Mm. And, and after that, then I give them feedback on how they did, you know, how did I make me feel? What did I see? What did I hear? And truly the impact came when the realization was that for these kids, that was the first time ever that anyone listened to them well enough to feedback on what they said and 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 truly understand what they were saying and yeah. be moved by what they were saying and i think you know that's a lesson for parents and everyone is that to be able to read the room if you will to see when is this time where you can't just shove off <laughs> and as you say give 40 percent of your brain that that they're needs to be those times when you give your full and everything and and it is hard. so i want to circle i want to connect that to the restorative discipline part yeah. um and there's an article on my website my website we we went through my website guru and i and we found all of my articles some of them had kind of the websites they were on were dead so we had to find versions of them so you can read them all on my website now Perfect. you don't have to go hunt so you go to my website so there's an article called i think the prevention interview and it's part of restorative discipline, which is, so I have a kid who needs to stay in, miss recess, miss lunch, stay with me, stay after school, whatever. It's a great time to have a conversation with the kid yeah. to say, tell me about yourself. Have you ever had a teacher who worked well with you? Have you ever liked a subject in school? Have you ever read a whole book? Oh, you faked it the whole time? Well, well done. How do you manage to fake it? How can I, like, how can we do something differently? Um, and so, by the way, you can write to me and I can give you the whole list of questions or you can just read the article. And so many students, so many, Vicki, said to me, no one's ever asked me these questions. Yeah. yeah. No one's That's ever asked me. Exactly and it was the beginning right. of the relationship of helping them feel safe being heard is an amazing thing in this world to somebody to hear you and somebody in authority who's responsible for you to hear you and so at the end of the interview the kind of two lines is there anything else you want to tell me and 
here's what I'm summarizing. Here's my summary of this. Have I got you right? Does this make sense? Because I'm going to think we can do these things based on what I what I said. Am I right about this? Mm -hmm. um, takes 15 minutes. You're going to have the kid anyhow. You know, and sometimes you can even do it ahead of time. I'm struggling with Vicky. Hey, Vicky, have lunch with me. I have some treats. I want to have a conversation with you. You're not being punished. I just, I want to get to know you better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really important. Mm -hmm. Since we're going to be spending that time with the kid anyhow, like you can, I'm part of restorative discipline. Mm -hmm. Is it's not so much about the harm. It's not so much about the rule that was broken but to repair the harm that was done. Yeah. And the harm so often is in the relationship with the teacher or with the peers. And so the conversation is to repair the harm. And as I always say, punishing kids doesn't teach them new skills. You can't punish kids into new skills. You can't punish them into better relationships. Um, but restorative practices gives them skills. So one of the things people often ask perhaps you're going to ask me to talk about this, mm -hmm. is about holding kids accountable. Yeah. I think it's just the opposite. I think having someone spend time in suspension or discipline, I mean, um, or detention, doesn't hold them accountable in any fashion. It doesn't mm -hmm. make them repair the harm. It doesn't make them have to consider how I could do something differently. No new skills, no new connections, no going back and repairing the harm, and in repairing the harm, helping the kid be made whole again. Mm -hmm. There's a story in the new book about a student of mine who was getting in trouble a lot, and he would say, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And sometimes when somebody else wanted to have him for detention or discipline, I would say, can you spend time in my room? And he would come to my room, and he would ask me if he could clean the room and straighten the shelves and sweep the floor. He just wanted to be made whole. He wanted to even the score. And until he could even the score and sort of have his giving back be equal to his transgressions, he wasn't whole. He was always down. Mm -hmm. So restorative discipline is holding kids accountable in a way that punishment never has. We punish kids into dropping out. We punish kids into lacking a connection to the school, to the curriculum, to the community. Restorative discipline pulls them in and says, you are still a member of this community. You can be a better part of this community. Yeah. So why is think time one of your non-negotiables for equity and inclusion in every class for every uh, One of my favorite questions. Thank you so much for asking that. So, uh, oh God, how can I, this so, let me start here. Um, so imagine Vicki and I are in first grade together. And the teacher says, who can tell me what we did? And before the teacher finishes their question, Vicki and four other kids have their hands up. This is classic in schools. Yes. I don't know how she does it. The teacher hasn't finished their question. And Vicki not only is imagining what the question's going to be, but simultaneously has, has an answer in her head. Magic, superpower. And so the teacher calls on Vicky or one of those other kids, and they are the smart ones, right? Ha uh ha. -huh. Well, it turns out Vicky has a discrete school skill, auditory processing skills. She can hear the syntax of a sentence, perhaps culturally aligned with the teacher, and can kind of 
suss out where that's going. She also has good spontaneous language development. We think about teaching public speaking. So that, and she also knows that she can come up with the words in the moment to explain herself. Now me, I need to hear someone finish their sentence. And then I need a moment to say, Hmm. (laughs) and then to think, do I have something that I want in this public forum? Yes. To say my answer. And I don't get a chance to do that because it's too late. So by a thousand times a year, this happens in class until I think she's the smart one and I'm not. Vicky is no smarter than the rest of the class. Sorry, Vicky. We all all want to learn, but we've mistaken auditory processing speed for commitment and intelligence. We've mistaken speed for smart in school. We mistake quickness for wisdom. Mm -hmm. So I instead, as a teacher will say, because the question the teacher was going to ask was, who can tell me what we did yesterday in math? Now, I had something to say, but I never get to say it. Instead, I say, everyone quiet, 10 seconds of think time. Sometimes I was like, 14.72 seconds of think time, because I can play with it and make it fun for the kids. <laughs> everyone think for a moment. What's one thing that happened in math yesterday? Collectively, we will put back, because all of you, all of those beautiful brains can help us remember what happens in class. So some kid might say after think time, I remember Mr. B when the number you were supposed to write on the board was 17 and you wrote seven and we were off for three minutes. I'm like, oh, I remember too. Does everyone remember that? And that revives in all of our memories, the experience of the class. Yeah. Or somebody else might say, I remember when Vicki asked that question about the number three. I was like, oh, I remember that too. Wow. Somebody else might say, I remember when a bird landed on the windowsill. <laughs> Me too. That was part of the experience of being in the class together. And all of us collectively are now responsible for thinking. As one of my snarky teenage students once said to me, Mr. B, first, okay, Mr. B, why do they ask so many questions they already know the answer to? And my corollary to that is, why do we think because one person answers the question that anyone has done, anyone else has done the thinking that requires them to learn and grow their brains. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with no think time. We basically are saying, if you can't answer fast, you're not part of this commerce of the class. And when I I do workshops all over the country, and oftentimes when I start setting up a safe and brave place for adult learning, I'll say to the teachers, and I've done this with thousands of teachers, Vicki, how many of you like to speak up in large groups? 10% of the teachers raise their hands. And I say, therefore, we should not judge or assess, evaluate, or damn kids who don't speak up in class. That's exactly right. And so how do we make a safe and brave class? Think time is essential. And then I might even say, before you want to risk to your class, and now turn and learn with your partner. 10 seconds each. Tell each other what you were thinking. Brains are buzzing. Everyone's talking. So in one in 30 seconds, everyone's had think time. Everyone's gotten to hear somebody else's idea and have their idea heard. 30 seconds and everyone has participated. Whereas yeah. if I said, who can tell me the answer I'm thinking of, because 90% of the questions we ask in school are guess what the teacher's thinking, five kids will. Yeah. And only maybe one kid will talk. And everyone else will learn to do what I learned now that we've done this a thousand times. 
I just hitchhike. I yeah. wait and I'm not part of it. Yeah. So think time is essential to saying all brains belong in this class and everybody belongs in this class. Otherwise we're replicating an inequity based on a weird thing, which is auditory processing speed, yeah. which then plays into people's sense of I'm not smart. Yeah. What a horrible thing to do to five and six year olds. Mm -hmm. I know um, one of the classes that I, uh, I do um, various different classes and I, I work with uh, some Chinese kids mm -hmm. and the, there's one girl that's kind of quiet and three or four that are real vivacious. <laughs> and they're, like you said, just always wanting to be on, on stage, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the quiet one had said to me, well, I never win. I, I, I shouldn't even try. And, and you know, that just breaks your heart, right? right. It's like, but no. And, and so whenever we vote on best speaker and things like that, I always put my vote in because I want to kind of level the playing field a little bit using more mature of a <laughs> process, if you will. But it's just, they... That right that at that young age, and these are only fourth and fifth graders, at that age, their self-confidence is already being attacked. Right. Well, of course, because day after day after day, question after question after question, yeah. Jeopardy game speed. Guess what the teacher's thinking? <clears throat> you know, so the again, if you write to my website, I have my website, I have lots of questions, which are the open-ended questions. What are you thinking now? What was where'd you start on that problem? Where mm -hmm. What did you do before you called me over to ask for help? Tell me what that brain did ahead of time. Um, is there a part of this that you feel really confident in? How about if we doubled that number? What would we discover? Why don't you try that? So there are all of these ways to say, I love your beautiful brain. And I'm fascinated in what you think and what you create. Of course, I'm never going to let anyone leave the class thinking two plus two is five. Right. But in the process of understanding how Vicky comes to five, I will learn so much about her brain. It may have been, oh, Vicky, you moved one extra block over here just accidentally. Look, if you had just left that block there, you would have gone four. I might say to another kid, "How? what is two plus two? And he'll say four. And I'll say, how'd you get that? He'd go, I looked at his paper. <laughs> <laughs> Who did more work? Vicky getting to five did way more work. Mm. I, I think it's one of the great privileges, opportunities, and responsibilities of being a teacher is to get to know how another brain works and to get in the gears to not make them think like me, but to make them honor their own, to hear their own thinking and yeah. to be not even confident because then it's about right or wrong, but to just affirm that their brain does interesting things. Well, and if you think about it too, it allows them to understand the process of of discovery of of hearing other there's so many people that sit in the classroom and forever you know as i was growing up i was that person that observed and watched and things mm -hmm. and and listened and i would be sitting back there thinking oh well that's the answer i got but I was not brave enough to raise my hand. But I love the fact that you are giving all of these different avenues 
so that the kids understand just just like I always say, you know, we all, our brains are GPS and we all can get to a different outcome or the same outcome, different paths. And, and the way that you use your think time and those open-ended questions are proving that, that there are brains do work in different ways, but they still can come up with the, the answer that we need. Right. And so to circle back to an early question. So how do we do all this without making another curriculum? It's in all of those ways. Yeah. And so how do we make kids want to come into our classrooms? Yeah. It's in all of those ways. So is it another curriculum? No, it's about how we manage the given curriculum. Now, I wish the given curriculum was a lot more flexible, but if we're stuck with one, no one tells us how to talk to kids in our yeah. classes. No one tells us what questions we have to ask. No one tells us how fast kids have to answer questions. We get to do all that. We get to tell them over and over again, how wonderful their brains are. Yeah. It's like I said, I, I, you know, I wish like, I, I live on a very lovely street with lots of little kids on it. And luckily I know a lot of them because I know their parents and I get to sit with them where they're looking at a flower and just say, what are you noticing? Tell yeah. me about that flower. I wish I could do that with every kid, but as a teacher, I actually am paid to do that. Wow, fascinating. So one of my last questions before we uh, go to the slide is why is it or what is so important about having those opening and closing ritual uh, in your classrooms? I, I agree that that's very important. So it, it, it's part of safe and brave classrooms. It's part of having rituals because rituals and procedures make for some level of predictability and that's really helpful for kids. Um, one of my favorite opening parts. So I think kids, the first thing they do in class should be something in which they feel competent. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a line that you can't feel confidence until you feel some of your competence. Mm -hmm. So one of my first things that a lot of teachers do do now. So there's a question on the board for kids to come in, which I've always been a proponent of because I don't like herding cats. I like kids to know but have four or five questions on the board. Yeah. Because each kid can look and find where their brain wants to go. And I've done that for years and years. And kids always gravitated to a question because they're all the questions are all kind of different, sparkly in their own way, that sparkled for them. Kids don't want to be bored. And so yeah. I could go up and say, hey, how come you picked that question? You know, that, that I love that. Or Vicky, I was thinking of you when I wrote that question. Um, so they have this first activity of choosing, which is really important, yeah. as well as finding something of competence. And sometimes kids say, no, I chose that because I didn't know if I could do it. Wow, cool. <laughs> um, and then kind of a settling in. Um, all right, then we're kind of ready. Okay, everyone's brands are here. We're kind of all in this together again. Hey, welcome back. Closing rituals. One of the silliest things we do in schools especially middle school and high schools where there are bells. It's like we're writing on the board and the bell rings. We say, don't forget page 34 homework, every other question, plus the essay questions at the bottom. Don't forget we have a, kids' brains are gone by that. Yeah. They've been hijacked by the bell, by the people moving, by everything they have to do. So in a lot of schools I work in, and individual teachers can do this if the school doesn't bless it, is you stop the official, seemingly you stop a lesson with two or three minutes left, but the lesson continues to secure the lesson. So I might say, okay, 
stop. Let's be quiet for 10 seconds. Let's just, uh, we did a lot of good work. What do you remember most about the lesson today? What's kind of sticking in your head? Think time, 10 seconds. Turn and talk to your partner. What do each of you remember? What seems most important? So your brains go through. The lesson's not done. What your brain gets to do is go through it again, which what we know about how human brains work is you have to re revisit to secure a neural network. So let's do that for a minute. Think with each other. Let's go around the room. Tell me what your partner said they remembered, a really high social emotional learning skill. Yeah. Not what you said, because that meant I had to listen and I had to honor and I had to summarize in some fashion what they said. Or I might say, in what ways was what your partner and you remembered the same and what was different? I might say, with your partner, do you both agree what homework is? <laughs> because that's really important to make sure you both agree what homework is. All right, in the next minute, together start the homework. Because what we know, and there's some good research on this, is if kids start homework in class, they're much more likely to be successful at home to get some traction on the task. Yeah. Because if you just face the blank paper at home, yeah, awfully scary. And the last one, this is one of my favorite ones for middle school teachers and students. But I want to say closing rituals. Let me jump in and say every teacher I know who has done a closing ritual says they like the end of class better. Yeah. Everyone's calmer. They feel like the kids have secured the lesson. They weren't teaching to the bell because the last few things you say before the bell <clears throat> are gone. Mm -hmm. They actually get to secure the deeper learning of the lesson. Middle school students in particular who's as much as I love them, their executive, executive functioning skills are something like raccoons at this point yeah. in their development. I'll say, make a plan with your partner to get to the next class on time. Oh, Vicki, you think you're going to go to the water fountain and your locker and see your older <laughs> sister down the hall and get to the next class on time? I'm not betting you're going to get there. Let's <laughs> make a bet. And you're like, okay, maybe that's not going to work. And so we make it a fun activity Plus it helps build their executive functioning skills. Plus because you're talking to your partner about making a plan together, you're building your social emotional skills. Kids get to the next class on time better. Yeah. So in that 30 second activity, part of the closing ritual, you build all of these skills. It's the best thing to do, closing rituals. I used to think it was all about opening rituals come into the culture. I think closing rituals may even be slightly more important. As one of my colleagues said to me, it's securing the experience of having been together right. in the class. I was like, wow, I love that phrase. So good. Such great information being shared. If you all enjoyed as much as I have conversation we've had with Jeffrey, you'll want to capture the screenshot that I'm going to be giving you in a moment. If you're just listening, you know the drill. You can go and get this information on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe or my Find Your Leadership Confidence website, findyourleadershipconfidence.com. But if you are watching right now, you can grab a screenshot of the contact information for Jeffrey, all of his website and social media. So that website, I, I gave you plenty of time to go get that paper and pencil, y'all. All right. That website is https colon forward slash forward slash jeffreybenson.org that's jeffreybenson.org and jeffrey is j-e-f-f-r-e-y -F 
benson.org. Right. And also through my website, you can write to me. Please feel free. I love being in correspondence. Excellent. He's on Twitter, uh, again, searching by his name, Jeffrey Benson 61. And LinkedIn, he's Jeffrey Benson Educator. But again, on LinkedIn, you can search for Jeffrey Benson and find him. And YouTube, he is at, at Jeffrey Benson ED Services. Again, at Jeffrey Benson ED Services. You want to check out his YouTube so you can see some of those uh, videos. And again, I'm going to turn it over to Jeffrey to talk about what you find on his website and a little bit more about um, why you should connect with him. Thanks. So first, um, anything we talked about, I, I love to be in conversation. So please write. I am not bothered by that. In fact, I would rather be chatting and talking with you all than doing the vacuuming or whatever else I have to do. Much rather talk to people who are passionate about the things I'm passionate about. On my website, like I said earlier, I'm so glad we've got every one of my articles there. Plus all the videos on my YouTube or on my website as well. It's like one-stop shopping for everything. Mm -hmm. There's a long list of the services I do and the workshops I do, um, interviews I've had, podcasts I've done. Um, I do a monthly newsletter called Insights. It's not exactly monthly. <laughs> it's close. But where it's like two or three minutes or a short article about, hey, think about this, think about that. You can sign up for Insights. I never sell anything through that. Um, I'm excited about the new book coming out, um, Hacking School Discipline Together, because it gave me a chance to say, how do I take my leadership understanding of an organization and my understanding of child development and my understanding of discipline and my understanding of teacher and administrator relationships? And how do we put that all together to say, you can, and with a timeline for change, how do we go from punishing students in one year as a school culture to having restorative practices? So, I'm, and that's coming out early 2024, sometime in before the spring, hopefully. So take a look for that. Awesome. Well, Jeffrey, as I said, this has been a wonderful conversation. We went a little long, but I thought everything that we talked about needed to be talked about. So I'm so glad. Definitely would love to have you back in March when your book comes out so we can oh, talk be more about that book and um, definitely want to connect with you. So we'll see what else we might do together, but it's been just wonderful. Great time for me too. Thank you so much. And as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.